Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about losing hope. But before we jump into that topic, can I remind you of something coming up? I know, I know, you're already accustomed to, to me talking about PeaceWorks University, but I want to shift gears and ask you if you'd be willing to consider attending PeaceWorks Live. PeaceWorks Live is our annual conference, and this year it's uh, bigger than ever. We're going to be discussing concepts that are going to be helpful for the local church, for ministries, for pastors, for ministry leaders, and we'd love for you and your team uh, to be a part of PeaceWorks Live. PeaceWorks Live takes place uh, September 7th and 8th uh, in Charleston, West Virginia at Bible Center Church. And uh, while you can join us via live stream, it's so much better live and in person. So please plan on being in Charleston in September. You can find out more about PeaceWorks Live at chrismoles.org. All right, friends. So we're going to interact with a question today um, regarding hope. And I can't really speak to uh, an individual's hope, but I can speak a little bit into the heart of the question. So let me just read the question and we'll, we'll dive into it. What hope does a victim have if her church leaders refuse to hear or respond to her cries for help and won't call her husband to repentance or hold him accountable? Where, what hope does a victim have if her church leaders refuse to hear or respond to her cries for help and won't call her husband to repentance or hold him accountable? So let's talk a little bit, and I don't want to in any way um, communicate that this is direct advice only to this questioner, only to this person asking the question, because I think there's so much that can be unpacked here. I don't know all of the story. I don't know all of the attempts that have been made. I don't know the context of the church. So I want to handle this uh, much more broad brush today uh, in an attempt to give folks who are in a similar situation disclosing abuse a little bit of hope and a little bit of help. So let's start with the, the, the context here. That what, what hope does a victim have if her church leaders refuse? And so there's an assumption there that an attempt has been made to communicate. Now, I do want to say this at the outset. For anyone who is attempting to disclose abuse, uh, I do want to say from the outset, it's important that you are prepared. It's not necessary, but if you're coming into a meeting with a pastor or a church leader, one thing I would encourage you to think through, if possible, and it'd be great if you had an advocate that could help you think through this, is to remind yourself that this person you're seeking help from is, A, not in the home. They, they don't experience the things that you're experiencing. So they won't have the emotional weight of your experiences. They won't have the history of your experiences. They won't have the nuance of your experiences. So they're going to need a little hand-holding to help them understand how impactful this person's behavior has been on you. At number two, 
they probably don't have the expertise or the knowledge to fill in the gaps. They, they more than likely, as a church or ministry leader, have little to no knowledge of abuse dynamics. And that's okay. That's not something they necessarily uh, train in seminary. Maybe they should, but it is the reality. They don't have that. So working with a good advocate or someone who can help you process your thoughts will go a long way to disclosing abuse in a spiritual and church setting. You, What you want to do, in my opinion, is you don't want... you. You want to avoid running the risk, I should say, of under-communicating the harm, right? And in doing so, um, allowing this other person to formulate their own assumptions or beliefs about the situation without getting all the information. So you want to be accurate. You want to be historical. You want to be clear. You want to communicate in a way that's received well. And I know that's a huge burden. It's, it's just adding some layers on an already difficult situation. But I want to throw that out there at the beginning because th- this question in itself is a good question if church leaders refuse. But I want to make sure that church leaders have the information and that they are, we're dealing with obstinance and resistance to intervention rather than confusion. And so what a good advocate can do is can sit alongside um, you as the victim and help you formulate your thoughts. Because a first initial disclosure to a pastor or a church leader that's uninitiated, that maybe is ignorant of the dynamics of abuse, could sound like a lot of different things. And I think we need to be honest about that. It could sound like anger. It can sound like bitterness. It can sound like confusion. Um, It it can sound kind of all over the place and disjointed, and all of those things can be true and the abuse still be true, but giving your pastor and your church leader the best chance, the best opportunity to hear clearly and and effectively what you're saying will go a long way uh, to their care and eventual confrontation. And so having a good advocate on board would be a big help for that. Now, let's assume that it has been communicated clearly. Let's assume that the pastoral leaders and the ministry leaders have heard you, which is what the the question infers, that they refuse then to listen. They refuse to respond. Um, They refuse to hold your husband accountable, and they refuse to call him to repentance. Well, then my next question would be, you know, not necessarily, the first question would be, have you communicated everything to them accurately and clearly with help from a trained advocate. My second question would be, do you need them to move forward in the process? Do you need them to move forward in the process? Now, I know that's hard to hear because what we want is, and I agree, we want the church to step into a place to call an abusive person to repentance. We want them to be part of the accountability process. And at this point, you're telling me that they're refusing to do so. And, and I'm taking that word, you know, pretty literally. You've asked, they've refused. And, and in doing so, I think they've advocated part of their responsibility, according to 1 Peter 5, as ministers of the flock of God, uh, according to, you know, aspects of caring for the vulnerable, according to 
First uh, Corinthians or First Thessalonians, excuse me, chapter five, holding on to the weak. They they seem to be saying we don't want to be part of this ministry. And if they are refusing to help, then then my question would be, are they necessary for the next step? Because while they would that would be great, while that would be wonderful to have your church step into this role of um, of confronting and calling to repentance, if they refuse to do so, uh, maybe maybe your best help is going to come from outside the church or from another body of believers or from a combination thereof. So uh, maybe some of the things I would ask if I was in the room is let's put the let's put the church response here on here on the shelf for just a second. I'm a pastor. I want the church to respond, right? And maybe there's some ways we can help that in the future. Let's put that on the shelf and let's talk a little bit about what other avenues we can pursue for help when it comes to safety and sanity. And so I may offer resources um, such as law enforcement or the courts. Now, some Christians are a little adverse to that. We, we don't like using government agencies. However, um, you know, according to Romans chapter 13, they serve as an agent of God's wrath. While we attempt to live at peace with everyone, there is um, an institution that wields the sword that brings about aspects of justice. While not necessarily complete or godly justice, it is in many ways worldly justice. It is part of uh, the system that, that we live in. And so I may ask some questions regarding would you consider talking about a, um, a order of protection, whether it's a domestic uh, violence protective order, what they call um, a DVPO, or a personal safety order, sometimes called a PFO or a PSO. Um, the most common language is restraining order. Few jurisdictions still use that language for intimate partners, but that's the concept we're talking about. Would that be a helpful next step for you? The church is not going to be engaged in accountability or calling to repentance at this point. Can we use other agencies to help establish accountability? Uh, if the answer to that is yes, then we're just going to answer a few, and this is a this is more of an advocate's job, but we're just going to answer a few more questions about safety, about uh, history, uh, about fear, you know, and I'm assuming from the question um, that I'm I'm hearing within the question that there has been um, behavior in the past that would be assaultive in nature, uh, that would be battery in nature, so that there probably has been or possibly has been physical violence um, after reading the question. But there more than likely has been acts of assault that include the creation of fear, threatening language, coercion, intimidation, um, enough to go to the magistrate uh, with a trained advocate to fill out the paperwork and request a uh, order of protection. Now, again, an order of protection is just a piece of paper, uh, but it could be a helpful form of accountability because if your partner violates that order, now they're guilty of a criminal offense. Oh, Chris, is this really all that we have to offer? No, I just think it's a good next step. If the church refuses, and and I often have the church and the courts working together, right? So 
just because even if the church was engaged, a personal safety order or a DVPO might be a great next step of added accountability. But for our question today, the church has refused to be part of repentance, and they've refused to be part of accountability. There are avenues within the state and within the community, the civil authorities, that we can avail ourselves of, and one of them is a protective order. Uh, secondly, uh, there are criminal acts of violence, and while the charges may not um, stick as the, the term you know, goes, uh, if you are the victim of an assault recently, if you're the victim of uh, physical violence in a short period of time of the disclosure, um, you know you could seek help from law enforcement in the courts as far as battery, assault, and criminal charges. And certainly sexual assault can fall into that category as well. But I do think that uh, with the nature of the question, I'd probably say I would offer a, a DVPO as a means by which um, we could help with accountability. Now, do the courts and, and law enforcement and police officers and prosecutors, do they help with repentance? They don't. I, I think that's a fair statement. At this point, if the church is going to advocate their responsibility to call offenders to repentance and promote accountability, then what I'm offering you is a secondary option within the community to seek further accountability. I've never seen the sword change a heart. I've seen consequences lead to heart change, but I've never seen threat lead to, or never seen threat produce heart change. I've seen consequences lead to heart change, but there's no guarantee that seeking help from civil authorities, for instance, are going to promote repentance, but it is going to establish more accountability. Um, so the questioner may come back and say, well, Chris, do I just stop engaging with the church then? Perhaps. And I think that's what I'm reading into the question. If you've clearly communicated your need, you've clearly communicated the acts of abuse, the word refuse here leads me to believe that the church sees that there, there's a problem. The church sees that you're suffering. And in spite of that, they refuse um, to hear you, they refuse to respond to you, and they refuse to call your husband to repentance, and they refuse to hold him accountable. If they've outright refused those acts of uh, ecclesiological authority, if they've refused to participate in confrontational ministry, then yes, I think you should seek help somewhere else. I also think that you should talk to somebody, uh, perhaps outside of the community for a brief period of time. I'd recommend an advocate. I'd also recommend finding good counsel from someone. And then if you can, I'd recommend connecting to another local community, to a, another local church. If this particular church uh, is part of a denomination, perhaps reaching out to somebody at a higher level. And I know that's adding a lot more burden. It's like I'm already struggling to try to survive. Why would I try to engage at a higher level? That's true. Maybe there's a, an advocate that can help you in that process. So I, I know that doesn't offer the hope maybe that you're looking for in the question, but if you've clearly communicated and you've had help in articulating well what it is you're experiencing and the church understands it and still refuses to help, um, then you should seek additional help. It may be necessary, even if the church did respond well, to seek help from the civil authorities for sure. Uh, but certainly, if the church isn't helping, then that's really our next best step 
of putting boundaries and significant um, distance between you and an abusive partner while providing some layer of accountability. Uh, Certainly, if you're in a situation, anybody who's listening, and you're in a situation where you are experiencing abuse at the hands of an intimate partner, and you're looking for ways to disclose, and you're looking for initial stages of help, uh, let me encourage you to reach out uh, to a trained advocate or to a counselor um, that understands abuse. If you are free to do so, you can check out our friends at Called to Peace. Called to Peace Ministries has advocates all over the country. Uh, if you're free to do so, you can you know, reach out uh, to, to PeaceWorks, and we can help connect you if, if possible. Uh, understand the dangers of um, you know, leaving tracks on the Internet and, and leaving um, evidence on the phone as far as living with an abusive partner. You understand your situation better than we do. But I would love for you to connect to a trained advocate that can help you uh, produce the materials needed, the information needed to make a healthy and clear disclosure so that your church leaders hopefully will get on board rather than refuse to help. If you want to be part of uh, that discussion in different ways, PeaceWorks University has a couple resources that I think might be able to help you. Uh, We did an interview, or I did an interview uh, a couple years ago with Elise Fitzpatrick, uh, that's in our masterclass section of PeaceWorks University called Your Identity in Christ, where we talk about uh, some of the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, we have a similar discussion in the masterclass with Joy Forrest from Called to Peace and Jim Upchurch, where we talk about approaching your pastor about abuse, having that conversation with your pastor, and that's in the masterclass section. We talk about crying out, that's seeking help, with our friend Sydney Millage, and uh, Keys to Healing uh, with our friend Joy Forrest. And all of that's in the PeaceWorks University Masterclass. And so if those resources be helpful for you, you can learn more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. We appreciate the question. I wish there was um, step-by-step instructions that we could give. However, um, this is not a step-by-step process. Every case is different. Uh, but from what I can see in the question, I do think there is a lot of hope in clarity, in working with a good advocate to make my disclosure as clear and helpful to leaders as possible, and then also in seeking help outside of the church, especially uh, if the church refuses to participate. Well, friends, I hope that's been helpful. Uh, we do hope that we bring some clarity to some difficult issues. Uh, Speaking of which, if you're looking for more clarity, more understanding, more ways in which you and your church can engage in gospel-centered responses to domestic abuse, then once again, uh, go to chrismoles.org. Check out PeaceWorks Live. We'd love to have you join us live in September uh, to learn more uh, about gospel-centered responses to domestic abuse. Thank you once again for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Until next time. God bless.